Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe in customer-perceived value. Value only exists in the mind of your customer in your channel. Uh, I'm Mark Boundy, your host. Today, I am thrilled to have Mark Appleman, uh, an old friend, a colleague, and uh, somebody I greatly admire who's got a variety of different experiences, including a new venture that he's starting. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So if anybody has watched the movie Moneyball and the analytics, those analytics are kind of the child of the Society of American Baseball Research. Uh, those people are the caretakers of that analytics discipline. And Mark is the former president of Sabre. Yes. I'll tell you a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so yeah, we grew Sabre. I was the... Um, CEO and executive director there for almost nine years. I left a couple of years ago for a new venture. But during the time there, we were able to develop it to where we got almost 7,000 members around the country and the world. And as you said, it's very much analytics-based. I mean, Sabre comes from Sabre Metrics, which Bill James started years ago. And basically, we took advantage of the whole Moneyball craze to try and grow the organization, to bring in younger members who were very involved in fantasy sports and the new analytics that were out there. And teams started, you know, working with them. Now every team has an analytics department in the major leagues. And one of the things we did when we first started, because we had an older organization and the organization really didn't have a kind of community that it should have. So we developed chapters and we ended up with 75 chapters in every major league city, a lot of the major minor league cities, 13 countries outside the U.S., and these chapters work closely with the national organization and we help support them, but they also did things on their own. Some of the chapters like in Denver, they had a lunch every week of the whole year and would just sort of talk about baseball in season, off season. A lot of the chapters would go to games. Some of the chapters would bring in speakers. Um, but anyway, so these chapters and these were all of like-minded passionate baseball fans, most of whom were in the analytics space, some of whom were also in the <clears throat> historical space. And we felt that by doing it this way, the whole organization really became one. And then by adding more and more with digital and having a website and a digital community, by the time people would come to, we did two, and this is before COVID, I left right before COVID, we did two big in-person conferences per year. One was during spring training in Phoenix, which was the Sabre Analytics Conference. And that was very hardcore. And we would get all the teams, sort of the brightest minds out there that were coming up with the newest analytics in baseball. Out of all the sports, baseball was sort of 
the first sport to really take advantage of analytics. Now, soccer, basketball, hockey are really sort of following even football to a certain extent. But so we would have six, 700 people at this analytics conference in Phoenix. And then in the summer, and that was always in Phoenix, in the summer, we would rotate our general conference, which was a little bit more less hardcore was more we'd go to a game we'd have speakers who would talk about everything like baseball in the movies baseball and music in addition to analytics and um so we would rotate that and that would be held each summer and the organization grew and then we started working with major league baseball on a number of different projects and some of the media companies and it really grew into an exciting real community is basically the best way to put it. You know, I think that's a, a really fantastic story of, of starting with a, a great germ of something that people are really passionate about, but then growing it. And you, you told me the other day that there were people involved in the history of baseball, like a couple of people who are really involved in the history of the Negro Leagues, for instance, um, women's leagues and and other people who are involved in uh, Little League. And so a lot of special interests within that blanket. And if you can imagine, there's like two people, you know, some old guy in Baltimore and somebody else in Detroit have the same interest. And unless there is not just a local chapter of that Detroit and that Baltimore, but there is a a community, an online community, so those people can quickly get connected and start collaborating and getting to know each other. Now you've you've actually have those local chapters who meet, but you actually have cross chapter interests, and you're nourishing that that third dimension of interest in in a lot of special interests because you've got a platform that helps people do that, and that knits the entire organization together even more tightly. Exactly. I mean, that's why we started forming these committees, because at first, as you said, we thought the local angle was great. And it really was because people would come together and physically, you know, most of the time. But then we found that there were these areas of expertise or passion. I mean, we had a lot of people at Sabre who had written books on these things, had spoken on these things. Many of them worked for teams or for the media. And so that's when we came up with these 31 committees. And as you mentioned, they ranged from women in baseball to youth baseball to the Negro Leagues was probably our biggest committee, actually. And then there was some that were just fun. There was Baseball in the arts, baseball in music, baseball in movies, um, all different kinds. And some of them would have a few people. Some of them would have the Negro Leagues committee had over a thousand people in that committee. And it was a way for people to share information. And one of the things that was really interesting is when we did a study with the members to sort of see what they got out of their membership, what they thought was the most value for the money they were paying. One of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing, was actually the list of the 7,000 members. Because whenever anyone would join, they would put their name in, and then it was a little bit like a baseball card. They'd put their favorite team, their favorite player, their interests. If it was you know, women in baseball, where did they live? How many games would they go to? 
and everything like that. And then you could just look it up. And so you could search someone by interest, by location. And people loved having that because if you were traveling and you wanted to go to a game with someone, you know, you could look them up there if you just had a question about things. So that became really valuable in itself was just sort of having that list of members. So, yeah, they I've become really passionate about studying community in, in one of my new ventures. And so uh, I'm listening to this, like on the edge of my seat, uh, looking for, there's a lot to learn here. And if you're a business person, if you've got a business, your customers, your clients, your past customers are a, could be a potential community. So listen up to what Mark's talking about um, for this saber, because I think there's something that you might be able to take out of that. So let's switch a little bit to uh, Mark. What are you up to now? Uh, you're now the founder and president of Sports Media Entertainment Incorporated. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. So this has been within the last year, and this was really sort of interesting how this came about. So I was talking to a number of people on another project I was working on on nfts and this is when nfts were still sort of the hot thing they may come back and i think they'll be a little bit more general and probably not as associated now with cryptocurrency and bitcoin as they were i think it may become more of just like a digital form of collecting but that's sort of a whole nother discussion but i was talking with someone and they said you know what you need for nfts is you need valuable assets that have some passionate that there'll be a passionate group about and if they're historical assets that have never really seen the light of day all the better so i started thinking about where would i sort of find that looked in my linkedin started thinking back to different people and remembered a friend of mine who i literally hadn't talked to in probably 15 years who lived in Toronto, who also started out as a sports writer like I did many years ago. He and his brother had bought the assets to Sport Magazine 20 years ago. Sport Magazine, which came about in 1946, which was eight years before Sports Illustrated, was yeah. really ahead of its time in terms of beautiful color photos, a lot of top written articles. They had all the top writers, even writers who weren't necessarily sports writers. I mean, Ring Lardner wrote for it. I mean, all different great writers wrote pieces for them. And then given the whole publishing world and a number of different mergers, magazine came on hard times. And in the year 2000 was basically put up for sale. Well, this guy and his brother bought it. And didn't really do much with it. They opened up a couple of galleries with high-end pictures and images, but they couldn't really bring back the brand, didn't know what to do with it. They became involved in other ventures and really did nothing with it. So when I contacted him about a year ago, I said, well, what are you, what are you doing with this stuff? I mean, you're sitting on 150,000 images, which you own all these great stories and articles and all these things, and most of which never have seen, no one's ever seen them because they weren't all digitized. 
unless you got the magazine. And even if you did, you probably don't still have an issue from the 60s or something. So all of this is really new. And he's like, so what do you what do you want to do with it? And I basically said, I think we should form a company where we should go out and try and bring this back and take advantage of this archive that you have. We started out dealing with a lot of companies in the NFT space, but that was just at the time where NFTs were really starting to go through a sort of tough time. And then we realized that there were four or five other spaces to deal with, everything from collectibles to actual publications, print publications, to licensing them, to doing documentaries with them. So we basically started doing deals with different companies. And we worked with ESPN and licensed a number of photos for some documentaries they did. We worked with LeBron James Company uninterrupted for a show that they were doing on Black Negro League Baseball. And we had a lot of great images that they licensed for us. Then as a publishing company out there called A360 Media, they wanted to bring back the sport brand and said, could you do a couple of special magazines that basically use a lot of the old articles and photos, but also give it a little bit of a more timely, relevant look. So the first piece we did with them was we did a remembering Roberto Clemente on the 50th anniversary of when he stopped playing and unfortunately his death, which was just actually 50th anniversary was just this past New Year's Eve a few days ago. But so we did a whole thing on that and that was distributed all over the country. And then we did one on a commemorative Astros issue when they won the World Series. But what sort of differentiates this is that half the magazine or even a little bit more is old stories and old pictures or historical, we like to say, um, that most people haven't seen, but are relevant. So when the Astros first started, we had a big story on the Astrodome, on all these different things from the archives. But then we also hired writers and used photography from the World Series and the playoff to sort of put the two together. And right now we're actually working on a commemorative on Pele, which will be coming out in about a week. So we never really thought a return to print would end up being sort of the biggest thing this year. But because of a lot of the shifts in both NFTs and digital, it has been. Going forward, we think though that there are a lot of different possibilities and we've actually been, you know, a number of people have approached us about actually either acquiring the company and the archive and then just rebranding it on their end or sort of working with us in a big major partnership. So we're sort of open to all these things. And it's been fascinating because I really had no idea other than the fact that, you know, when I grew up every Christmas, I got three magazines as gifts. One set of grandparents gave me National Geographic because they thought that was good for me. And that was sort of the educational grandparent. The other grandparent got me Sports Illustrated for kids and my parents got me sport. And probably out of the three, I mean, I loved all three, but out of the three, the one I would cut out the most pictures from and just read and loved was sport. 
It was a monthly and they just did these incredible different kinds of stories and pictures. So this has a little bit of a personal fun thing as well. And it's sort of turning into something. We're still sort of waiting to see what it really develops into. Yeah. So, all right. This is the value clarity podcast and value is in the mind of your customer and it's not the images. It is the outcome of having those images. It's memory. Remembering. Right. It's remembering. It's an emotional feeling. Um, it's uh, being able to connect with the entire arc of history of the Houston Astros. It's being able to connect with and remember Pele, this great man, right after, you know, after his death and have a a, a, a being able to go back into the archive to, to a lot of those real time historical coverages and pictures um, rather than having to search them, getting the best pictures in the world of that man uh, contemporaneous. Exactly. I'll give you a perfect example, though, of where someone like just has a memory and this becomes so valuable to them as I was talking to an executive at one of the companies that we're talking to a media company. And he's around my age. So he grew up in New York in the late 60s. He was a kid at that point, like I was. And he said, gosh, I remember 1969 when the Knicks won and the Mets won and the Jets won. And all three were like huge upsets, particularly the Mets and the Jets. And he says, you know, like, would you have anything like that? And I said, well, actually, we have covers with Joe Namath of the Net of the Jets, Willis Reed of the Knicks, and Tom Seaver of the Mets. And I said, the one of Tom Seaver is really cool because we've got him wearing this beret and he's at an easel. And it says, this pitcher is a true artist. And it was just a great, you know, one of these great iconic covers. Well, this guy was like, I don't know, I have to get back to you, but if there's any way I could ever like buy those or get images of those, he says, that was like the highlight of my youth. And he just went on and on, which really made me realize and made us realize the sort of power and what we might have, you know, behind some of these things in terms of bringing back memories and passion and, you know, the value of it, as you said. Yeah, imagine being able to go to, um, the city of New York or a sports authority and be, you know, the, the convention and visitors bureau of the, of New York, the, I love New York people and say, here, here's a commemorative, you know, exactly. here's fall in love with New York all over again. Yep, um, I love that. I love that. Um, so there are, if you remember what you're, what you're producing is memories and fond memories and you've got, uh, actually, I interviewed the uh, former CEO of WD-40, right? Oil in a can. And his company said their mission is not producing oil in a can. Their their mission is to produce positive, lasting memories. And so everybody's got the story of my dad taught me how to work on cars and we had WD-40 for everything. Exactly. WD-40 is magic in a can. And you're... Your pictures, your images, these stories are positive, lasting memories. Now you just have to go connect it, connect those with the people who have those memories dim, dimly and um, boost them. 
Exactly. Exactly. How cool is that? What a cool business to be in, to be in the business of bringing back great memories. So there's a million of those stories and being able to, um, being able to commemorate those with people and help people commemorate those. I, I just think that's a powerful, powerful thing. I mean, the value of memories and particu particularly family. I mean, we did one thing at Sabre for fun and it was a digital thing. And we had thousands and thousands of people who participated where basically we did a weekly newsletter and we would try and send out something in the newsletter each week to get people involved. So what we did is we said, what was the first baseball game you remember going to? and send us a few paragraphs and a picture. Well, it was amazing, the response. First of all, as you said, most of the time it dealt with a father-son or father-daughter relationship. So it was, you know, I was seven years old and I remember my dad, you know, in our old car, we drove out to the stadium and then I remember getting ice cream and such and such was playing. And even if they didn't really remember the game, you know, sometimes I think the people probably just looked it up on baseball reference or something because they yeah. remember around the date or whatever, but it elicited such strong, passionate family memories that were sort of connected with baseball and with their, you know, usually, as I said, it was the dad who was, you know, involved, but it was interesting. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what a cool thing to be a merchant of memories. That's a great way of putting it. I'm switching back to your Sabre days, the kind of tools that you had and what it takes to make a great community. Uh, you talked about starting with people who are all passionate about baseball for some reason or another, you know, some about analytics, some about Negro League, some about this or that. Um, but being able to connect with those and then develop, I hate, I don't want to say service those, but but pay attention and and to help those people develop those interests and those passions. And what we found is, and you've probably found this a lot with good organizations or businesses, is if you give people the tools or you empower them, then they run with it. So every year at our national convention, one of the things we would do, and usually this would take three, four hours, we do it in the big conference, you know, big auditorium, is we'd have as many of the chapter heads as were there or were interested in doing this. And often we'd get, you know, quite a few out of the 75 and they would come up and they would do a quick talk or sometimes PowerPoint on what really worked for them that year. Some of the top things they did that were different. And it was great because then someone from the Seattle chapter could say, you know, I'm going to, follow what they did in Denver, because that sounds like a great idea. And someone in New York would share something that someone in Chicago would want to do. And it was just a great way of everybody sort of coming together and sharing different ideas, different ways to do things. And we had just really sort of given them the tools. I mean, we gave them yeah. some, some financial help, we gave them the technology because they used the major, you know, digital platform and website that we had that they could use, you know, in their own way. But then they sort of ran with it. Yeah. And and I'm sure there's somebody in, you know, in 
in uh, Nashville who said, I really like that thing you did in Denver. And I like that thing that you did in Detroit. I'm going to twist them together like this. And we're going to try that. Uh, so now it's not just borrowing best practices from somebody. It's it's dynamically combining them and building them and making better and new. And so um, the thing about a lot of best practices is it's just copying some, you know, some in business, it's copying a, one of your competitors' strategies. It's their strategy and you're copying it. So you're not right. differentiating yourself. Um, you haven't had an environment where people can combine and build and and enlarge and move beyond. And um, that's a that's a key differentiator. No, absolutely. I think it absolutely is. And I think, I mean, one of the biggest things, and I think it's true, you know, as you mentioned with the WD-40, and there's so many examples about it, but if something elicits a strong memory or passion, you know, particularly favorable ones, I think that's just such a huge thing. Yeah. Um, there are some companies that do that. You know, WD-40 does that. Um, they kind of did that, but when they started making it purposeful, uh, there's actually a page on, on their website where you, they tell where people are, they, they, uh, curate stories, right. The positive memories that people have created, but there are some companies that people are passionate about, but there's, um, um, colleges, universities that people are passionate about. There are other causes, um, lots of other causes or nonprofits that, that are built around people's passions. I, I think there's something that a lot of people could really take what you've done and develop and learn. Yeah, I do too. I definitely think, you know, in addition to, you know, sports organizations, I think it could work throughout, you know, many different businesses and many different sort of associations and organizations, you know, around the country in multiple areas. Um, lessons for all of us. And the value is the emotional connection. Um, you know, in, in business to business, I'm so concentrated on a business impact that creates this kind of ROI and that you can actually financially measure. Um, so often, in business to consumer, it's an emotional connection. I mean, you the reason you buy a BMW is not because it has measurably better this or that. It's because you want to feel this way about yourself. Exactly. Right. Um, so any business to consumer product is about that emotion, about the feeling. Um, so something to any business brand or any business to consumer brand this is something you need to think about, something uh, that's probably part of the next step in your marketing and your your community building. I'll give you a perfect example because I've been involved with, you know, sort of building communities for a while now. And when I started at ESPN, it was a while back, but it was right around the time of their 25th anniversary. And the executives there were trying to figure out, and this is when ESPN was really, I mean, it's still very powerful and the top of its game, but there are a lot more competitors and there are a lot more platforms and things now, but this is when they were, they were like everything with sports. They were really at their peak and they were trying to think, how do we celebrate the 25th anniversary? And they were coming up with all these ideas and I wasn't in most of these meetings, but I heard about them. And then it came down to me was, you know, they were a little bit like, 
this is like very self-congratulatory. And so a lot of the executives were like, you know what? We're making a lot of money. We're out there. You know, this is when Disney had bought them. We don't really want to. That's a little much. And so then someone came up with, well, why? Since we're always the ones sort of delivering to the fan, why don't we do something where we're sort of getting the fans involved? So they came up with this whole marketing campaign called Season of the Fan where they set up a website and they had all these events at what used to be like ESPN zones involving the fans and the fans became very involved and they became content producers and they had their own community. Well, then it was so popular that they came to me in the division I was in and they said, how can we build this so that now there's something going forward, not just our anniversary? And I was the one who launched Sports Nation there uh, across a number of platforms. So we had a TV show, we had a radio show, we had a big website. But the big difference is the fans were the stars. So the fans were basically, you know, we'd have a moderator or we'd have a space, but it was the fans dealing with fans, the fans giving their ideas about things. I mean, we even got to the point where at that time, the NHL was in a strike. And so we got Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, came on on a live stream like chat. And we had all these fans suggesting on how they should settle this strike. So, I mean, we did all kinds of things, but it was turning it all around so that suddenly this big corporate company that was, you know, always delivering things to the fans was now listening to the fans and the fans were actually empowered to sort of take part in this, you know, network that they loved. Yeah. You know, and I think that's such a huge thing. I mean, I always remembered that and I thought what a, it ended up being such a better strategy than just going out there and saying, you know, in our 25 years, we've done X, Y, and Z kind of thing. Which was the way anybody would have done it before we had technology to gather information from our our customer exactly. and our user and our fan communities. Exactly. Um, and we have to remember that these relationships are two-way relationships. And there's a lot of passion out there. And you have to harness that. That the energy is not with the people who are being paid to pump information out about the society or the organization. The energy is from the people who aren't being paid, who want to interact because they love this. Yeah, I often joke that the best staff are your volunteers in many ways. I mean, they are so passionate about it. And I mean, at Sabre, I joke that we had, you know, we basically had four full-time people six interns, and then about 6,900 volunteers that worked for us and did so much of the stuff and just were so thrilled to be part of it. And, you know, and everyone would find their own little niche that they could be part of. And, you know, they just loved feeling as if they were like helping the organization grow and, you know, survive on a regular basis. So Mark, how much of the work of managing that society was 
finding niches and helping then you know, letting finding niches and, and publicizing the niche and then letting people come in and fill them. That was a lot of it. A lot of it also. And I mean, this is not unexpected, but a lot of it was finding the right leaders of the chapters and the committees, because the people who had the idea or the most passionate weren't always the best leaders. Either they didn't have enough time to really devote to it. They just didn't like or know how to lead people. They weren't. So that was something that, you know, and every once in a while, we tried to stay out of that as much as we could, but there would be times where chapters can, especially some of the bigger ones, would contact the national office and they'd say, you know, can you help us sort of figure this out? Because Joe really should be the leader, but, you know, Sam has donated a bunch of money to the organization and he really wants to lead it. And how are we going to sort of work this out? And usually it was finding something for everyone. So maybe they didn't lead the chapter, but they would be very involved in leading a committee. Or if they were going to do a chapter conference that year, they would be in charge sort of of just making sure that event worked well and whatever. Yeah. But so, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the work, as you just said, was really just make getting those things in place. Very interesting. Fascinating stuff. Well, Mark, anything else that you want to share with us uh, or how people can get a hold of you? Yeah, definitely. Well, probably the best way is email. And I'm at um, mark, M-A-R-C dot Appleman, A-P-P-L-E at gmail.com. That's my business email, you know, outside of the company. That's probably the best one. to. And I'm, you know, I'm right now I'm heading up sport media entertainment, but I'm also involved in a number of consulting projects. And I'm always interested, particularly with startups in terms of being involved in consulting and sort of working with, you know, new entrepreneurs, working on new projects. You know, I've been primarily in the sports and media space, but I've also done a little bit more in the entertainment space over the last couple of years. So definitely open to that. And um, just, you know, have always loved new sort of new things, you know, an empty whiteboard is great, whether it's even though I've worked at corporations, it was usually starting, you know, a new division or a new, you know, idea like Sports Nation and ESPN, something like that. So, um, yeah, I hope to be in touch and just talk about different, you know, ways in which you can set up communities or business ideas and love, love brainstorming. Cool. Well, Mark, thank you so much. And thanks for sharing your wisdom and your experience. Um, I'm sure we'll have lots more to do and to talk about uh, off of the, the podcast. So thank you. Sounds great. Thanks, Mark. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value only exists in your customer's mind so that business, associations, Whatever you're doing is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blues. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.